You can learn a lot about someone by who their friends are. There's nothing more intimate, more telling than the conversations that close friends have. You get a sense of what they really care about, by what they talk about, what they share. Surely you have such close friends that you call confidants, those that you confide in certain facts. You, you share what's most important to you, to them, maybe things that you share with no one else. Through your daily correspondence over text messages or phone calls or emails or letters. Whatever form of communication you choose to use with a close friend, you, you share intimate facts. You reveal who you are. You share with these companions stories, concerns, and victories. And similarly, we get a, a really good sense of what the Apostle Paul cared most about when he writes to his close friend, Timothy. Timothy was a young man in his 30s. and Paul had mentored him and led him to faith in Christ and had discipled him for many years. They had spent countless hours together, lived for weeks together, months together, even a number of years in different places. We get a sense of how much Paul loved Timothy and how much Timothy meant to Paul. We get a sense also of how much Paul cared about the local church. You see, through what's called the pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, we get a real sense of Paul's desire for local churches to be healthy. You see, when, when things are really blowing up in Crete, Paul didn't send Timothy down to Crete because he knew Timothy would get devoured. He'd get eaten up. Many people have called Timothy timid Timothy. No, when things were really breaking off there in, in Crete and things were disordered, they sent Titus down there and Paul knew that Titus could clean up and get things ordered. And like a, like, like a general, Titus could get things in order. But for Ephesus... It was an established church. It had been planted by Paul many years earlier and pastored by some of the greats like the Apostle John. And Paul had led many to faith in Christ. And when Paul left Ephesus, he, he gathered the elders on a shore and they wept. They knew they'd never see him again. And Paul warned the elders, the pastors there in Ephesus, that false teachers Ravenous wolves were going to come in and they were, they were actually already a part of the gathering. They were going to destroy the church. And Paul knew that he needed a guy in Ephesus whom he could trust. An insider. Someone that was from his inner circle. That wasn't maybe the flashiest preacher. Wasn't the best. Wasn't the most elegant. It wasn't Apollos. It was Timothy. And he trusted Timothy to be one who could continue the faithful ministry that Paul had begun so many years earlier. What we learn through this letter as we think about Timothy as Paul's 
as he calls him his true child in the faith. As we think about why would Paul pick up his pen to write to his close friend? Why did he have these two letters? And why did God use these two letters to teach us as a church? Well, we see very early on in, this, in these two letters that, that Paul is seeking to equip Timothy for the work of pastoral ministry. And you might think this morning, well, hey, friend, uh, pastor, I love you. I, I don't feel called to ministry, so why do I need to read a book called the Pastoral Epistles? Well, well here's why. Well, as you read this letter, you'll find really quickly that Paul doesn't use singular second-person plurals. In other words, he doesn't say you, singularly Timothy, but you all. In other words, while this is a private letter, it was meant to be received corporately. That while this was private correspondence, Paul understood that there would be others, namely the leaders and the congregation, who would understand some things. In other words, let me help you understand. You might think, Pastor, I don't know what you're talking about. Why, if Timothy, I mean, Timothy lived with Paul, right? Like, like they lived together. Like, they lived in tents together, right? They, they knew each other. Why has Paul got to tell Timothy that he's an apostle? Right there in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Timothy's like, I know that, Paul. I mean, like, we live together. Like, you ain't all that special. We shared food together. Why does he do that? Timothy knows that. Well, because Timothy needed to be reminded of that, number one. But because the church in Ephesus needed to be reminded of that. That Paul was an apostle. But friends, as we understand this passage and, or understand this book this morning, we want to we see it from a big perspective. So this morning, what my hope is, is to give you really a big picture view. Because you should be reading this each week. So if you're not reading regularly anything in the Bible... Uh, well, I've just given you something to read over the next few months, all right? Uh, and you, you think, well, Pastor, this is only six chapters. Well, good golly, here you go. Uh, you read a chapter a day, and uh, you, there's seven days in a week, and then you just make up that seventh day, whatever day you miss. So if you missed a day, you pick it up on day seven. And friend, you do that for the next few weeks, you'll come here on Sunday mornings knowing more than the preacher. And that's a good thing, all right? Uh, that's a good thing. You can be like, Preacher, that he didn't say that. He didn't say that. Um, all right. So let me challenge you over the next few weeks. Read every day, just chapter a day. So tomorrow, you, First Timothy chapter 1, you just read that. And then the next day and the next day. Do that. I, I guarantee you, you will know God's word better. And you don't need commentaries or anything else. You just read that every day uh, for the next few weeks. And I guarantee you, you will, things will be leaping off the page. You'll be excited. You'll think that you've gotten saved again um, as you read God's word. Well, friends, God is revealed through, through the Apostle Paul here. And just to give you a bit of, of, a, of context before we dive into the passage, Paul is writing again to this young protege in the faith, one whom he has discipled. Timothy, again, probably most would estimate in his 30s. He's a young man. Um, it was around 30, year old, 30 years old when one was be, begun to see uh, society-wise as adults. It wasn't 18, and probably better that they saw themselves a little older. Um, uh, godliness is something that we see has kind of waned in the leadership among uh, those in Ephesus. In other words, Paul here picks up his pen to address ungodliness. 
It seems to be that there were false teachers who had crept in, as Paul had warned, that were teaching the church to live contrary to godly living. And so Paul is addressing that. Not only that, we see that how Paul deals with a lack of godliness isn't through mere more moral ethical teaching. In other words, do this, don't do that. But rather teaching sound doctrine. You see, when we understand who God is, we understand the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We understand ourselves. All that's doctrine. We understand truth. It leads to transformed lives. The Apostle Paul would say it this way to the church in Rome. Renew your minds. How? In other words, change your lives. How? Through the word of God. Renewing your mind through biblical teaching. Thus, Timothy has been given a task by the Apostle Paul to lead the congregation towards ordered doctrine an ordered life, and ultimately we'll see an ordered church. You know, I think wrongly, and this title, Pastoral Epistles, was kind of invented in the the, the mid-18th century, and so it's relatively new to the church. Uh, It it is kind of confusing, right? We we might think, well, I'm just going to skip over that. That's just for pastors. But rather, what we see here in these verses is that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is a central part of the life of the everyday believer. In other words, we are to have a high view of the local church. The local church isn't just something you attend, but it's something you're a part of. It's a people, it's a body, it's an ecclesia, a fellowship, a gathering of redeemed saints it is to be a reflection of heaven what we see happening here today is what we will be doing for eternity thus how we do church matters because we want to be reflective of what's going on in heaven not what's happening here on earth How many churches have you attended where it seems to be they were taking their cues from the world around them rather than from heaven itself? We understand through each of these passages and each of these areas of of ordered doctrine and ordered life and an ordered church that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is the undergirding principle. In other words, what orients the ship of your life of your doctrine, of our church, is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's been kind of popular uh, to say, you know, we're Christ-centered preaching or Christ-centered church or Christ-centered living. All that means is that you're biblical, all right? A biblical church, right? We, we, We like to put qualifiers and everything. We're just doing what Jesus told us to do, all right? Uh, at the end of the day, we're not gonna seek to qualify it, you know, gospel centered living, as if there's another alternative. All right. That's what I mean. Christ has saved us and called us into a corporate body called the church with Paul describes. I mean, if you have your if you have first Timothy open, let me just turn to the purpose statement. All right. I mean, we all want to know what he's writing about. So first Timothy three, uh, verse 14. I think, my goodness, he waited a while to get to the point. He's like any good preacher, right? He waits to a Amen. Right. Verse 14. He says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you. In other words, Paul hoped to get down to Ephesus to visit Timothy. He says, hey, this is why I'm writing. 
So, so all the theologians in the room know now, know now why he's writing. So that if I delay, you may know what? How one ought to behave in the household of God. There you go. Why did he write? So that you would know how you should behave in the household of God. And then he goes on to describe the household of God. How does he describe it? Which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Now, the Apostle Paul seems to have a pretty high view of the local church, doesn't he? A pillar and buttress of the the very pillar, the central piece of the truth, the one corporate gathering that is to be truth revealing when all else is air. Well, these verses capture the occasion by which Paul picked up his pen to write. And so let's consider this morning these first two verses in 1 Timothy. So I invite you to turn back, 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to consider verses 1 and 2 this morning. You might think, my goodness, no longer, we're, no, no wonder we're going to be in this for years. He's only preaching two verses. Not at all, not at all. That's, this is just a little intro. Uh, we'll take larger sections over the next few weeks, um, I assure you. Verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, as Paul begins this morning, I I believe that these aren't just merely a a hello, how you doing, Timothy, but are an intentional piece that is important, a lens, if you will, by which one is to read and understand the rest of the letter. If you get wrong these first two verses, the rest of the letter will be meaningless to you. If you don't understand the foundation that Paul lays here in these first two verses, you might as well just close your Bible and move on because it will not be of importance to you. Here's the point. That Christians, those who are following Jesus, those who claim the name of Christ, are to submit themselves to the apostolic authority. We are to live in submission to the apostolic teaching. By understanding that what Paul is writing here to us in this letter is divine revelation. That it is as if Jesus of Nazareth in that that little Galilean accent is speaking to us this morning. In other words, if you got one of them cool red letter Bibles, this should all be in red letters. All right. That Christians are to submit to the apostolic authority And understand that that Paul's writing to 1 Timothy is divine revelation. That it is inspired by God. It is God-breathed. And therefore, it is essential for us to understand who God is and how we are to live together as God's people. We live in a world that loves to be relative invents their own truth. Whatever works for you works for me. Well, friend, that don't work for God. 
God doesn't work that way. Just because it works for you doesn't mean it works for God. God has revealed himself through his word. He doesn't write in the stars. He doesn't reveal himself specifically divine, you know, specifically salvifically through plants and animals and things of that nature, but rather through his word. And so you want to know God. You want to know how to live. You want to know, we want to know, it's a good question, right? How do we do church? What should we be doing as a church? What should we give ourselves to when we get together as a church? Well, Jesus tells us in his word. And in these two first, these first two verses, Paul lays out this foundation of authority. He declares that he is speaking with authority. It is as if Jesus is writing this letter to Timothy and Timothy is to understand who he is and the responsibility that he has been given as a pastor of his church. And so, I want us to ask a couple fundamental questions this morning. First, who's writing and to whom's being written? And I think if we understand who's writing and who Paul's writing to in a little deeper sense, I think we'll get a sense of this, this point of authority. Well, first we see very clearly that Paul is writing. Look with me there, verse 1. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. We're told from the very verse, verse that Paul's the author, and this would have been customary. This is not abnormal. Uh, most of y'all, uh, you know, we, when we write a letter, we put it at the end, right? Sincerely or yours truly, so-and-so. Well, in a Greco-Roman culture, they would have put their name at the top of the letter. They would have said, hey, it's me. You remember me? And they would have had some sort of salutation, some statement that, that gave it providence. In other words, that some sort of signature that would have given it authority. And here Paul describes himself in a number of ways. He describes himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus. Jesus uh, Paul begins many of his letters in this way. Hey, I'm the apostle Paul. And this isn't just merely a title. This isn't like Mr. or Mrs. Or, or Doctor or whatever cool title you like to put in front of your name. No, no, no. This is a position that, that he is one who is on mission for Jesus. Now, if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul was a zealot. He had a great zeal for the things of God. He loved God. The problem with Paul was that he didn't love Jesus. Um, he did not know Jesus as Savior. He, he thought Jesus was a threat to the stability of the nation of Israel that was under Roman occupation. And so in the, in the very early years of the church, in the very early days rather of the church, the Paul, before he was saved, was a persecutor of the church. He, he was a murderer. All right, he like we, we use the word terrorist today. Like that, he brought terror upon to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And and one day, Paul is going about this terror. In other words, fear putting f the fear of God, if you will, in the lives of Christians uh, by locking them up, putting them in prison, and even sentencing them to death. 
One day, God interrupts Paul's life and, and brings him to a saving knowledge of him. Jesus reveals himself to the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus and through a, a subsequent events, calls him to a life of mission for Jesus. This is how God works, right? God doesn't say like, hey, I want you to come and follow me. And what that means is you can kind of choose how you want to live. No, no, he says, he says, Paul, I'm saving you and this is what you're going to do with the rest of your life. So Paul's entire life is changed. And in Acts chapter 9, we see the conversion of Paul. And this passage here is just striking. In, in Acts chapter 9, in verse 15, Luke records that the Lord said to, to Ananias, Ananias was to go and get Paul, um, go, this man, is, that is Paul, is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Paul was on a mission. So when Paul says, hey, I'm an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, it wasn't something that he stamped on his letterhead. It meant that he had been on a mission sent by Jesus. He was a representative of Jesus. He was Jesus's messenger. Such that what Paul said was as if Jesus was saying it. That's some pretty tremendous authority, isn't it? So Paul here, by saying he's an apostle, is throwing his weight around his authority. This is what Paul does in all of his letters when there is division. When there is a lack of submission to the apostolic authority. He comes in and he says, hey, y'all forgot like who's in charge around here. The apostles are. We represent Jesus. And as Christians, what we need to understand is that God's chosen instrument of revelation was the apostles' teaching. And so what we affirm and believe this morning is what they taught us about Jesus. For did you know Jesus didn't re write one book in the Bible? I know, it's surprising. You will not find one book in this Bible that begins, Jesus, Son of God, says... This is why we believe that every letter in the Bible should be a red letter. Because God spoke through his son in his word. Every word is Jesus' word. He used these messengers to speak to us. But notice what the Apostle Paul goes on to say. He doesn't say merely that he is a representative, an apostle, one who has the authority of Jesus Christ. Notice it is by command of God. He was commissioned by God. We, we see in that passage in Acts chapter 9 that, that he was to go as my chosen instrument. In other words, God chose him to do this. And he commanded him to do it. It wasn't like, Paul, if you get around to it, I want you to do this in your life. No, no, this is what you're going to do, Paul. Such that then he had authority to speak on behalf of God himself. Self. Now, to be clear, before we get ahead of ourselves and think that everything that Paul said was divine, that's not true. So let me give you a little scenario this morning. Let's, let's imagine for a minute that we all leave church and, and there, there, there's this big stir 
maybe on social media and, and on the media. And, and, and there, there was over in, over in the Middle East somewhere a, a scroll discovered this morning. And it was authenticated as, as having been written by the Apostle Paul. It was this unforgotten letter. No one, no one in, in, in the last 1,800, 1,900 years had ever heard of it before. And they unrolled it, and they, it was as if DNA sampled. Every, I mean, there no doubt in their, our minds, the Apostle Paul wrote it. We would not view that as Scripture, as authoritative. Why? Because it wasn't widely circulated enough in order for, the, for it to be understood as authoritative. All the letters that Paul wrote were circulated beyond the churches they were written to. Such that 1 Timothy ends up all over the known world in different languages, in different uh, uh, scripts and everything. Because it was understood to be Scripture. And so this morning we understand what Paul is writing to us this morning to be the authority of God. But notice what he says about God. Friends, I believe that, 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 that Jesus reveals particular truth through his teaching, through his teachers, that the Holy Spirit has in mind certain words that the apostles Paul is not like, hey, you know what? Today I want to call God my savior. No, no, there, there's intentionality by every single word that the apostle puts in this sentence. Look what he says. God, our savior and Christ Jesus our hope. And you might, if, you, if you're a student of your New Testament, be surprised by what Paul says here. Rarely does Paul ever call God the Father Savior. No, often that title is attributed to Jesus, right? Jesus is our Savior. If I asked you, oh, who's our Savior? I bet you nine out of ten of you would say Jesus. But the Apostle Paul says here, God is our Savior. Why does he do that? Well, I think John Stott helps us understand this. Paul says this, or he, John Stott writes this. Paul locates his apostleship in a historical context who began, whose beginning was the saving act of God our Savior in the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus and whose culmination will be Christ Jesus our hope, his personal and glorious coming, which is the object of our Christian hope and which will bring down the curtain on the historical process. In other words, Stott is saying that what Paul has in mind is a big picture of God's saving act from beginning to end. In other words, he, he puts the gospel central to who he is as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, what message was it that Paul was telling? What was it, what was it that Paul was about? What, what was he communicating? Was he communicating how to have your best life now? Was he communicating about how God loves you and he just wants to bless you so that you can live your American dream? Or your Greco-Roman dream or whatever dream you have. Is, is, is it that God really loves you and he wants you to feel good about yourself this morning? He wants you to feel warm inside. He loves you. He does. No, not at all. 
Now the message that Paul had with the, was the message that God is angry with sinners, that He will destroy you, that if you do not believe in Jesus, you will, as he describes, make a shipwreck of your life. But that in His loving, merciful kindness, He has rescued you through the blood of Jesus. And that Jesus has given us hope. Paul's message was one of authority, meaning that it was binding on the conscience of every believer. And it's binding on your conscience this morning. What he reveals here is divine revelation. And we ought to read it and understand it. We ought to see it as divine truth. We ought to approach it with such trepidation that this is God speaking to me and to you. We ought not be like that man who looks at the mirror and forgets. You want God to speak into your life? You want to know what God's will is for your life? You want to know the one true and living God? Open your Bible and start reading. And you will meet God through his word. Brothers and sisters, we ought to understand our lives to be ordered. We need to come to, the, to this book with this question. How does God want me to live? How does God want his church ordered? How are we to devote ourselves? What are we to give ourselves to? We are to give ourselves, we will see in the days and weeks ahead, to sound doctrine. To sound theology. How are we to order our church? Why is it that we have elders and deacons? Why is it that we have men preaching and not women? That's a great question. Why don't we have female pastors? Why don't we do some of the stuff we, we do? Why do we sing? Why do we pray? Why? Well, Jesus tells us why. Because he commands us to do church a certain way. And we can complain about it. And we can feel the cultural pressures about it. And feel that we're a little out of step. And maybe a little outdated or, or whatever. Wrong side of history. However we want to phrase it. But at the end of the day. Our understanding of verse 1. Is that God commanded. And therefore we shut up and we listen. That's the point. Well, secondly, we see here to whom it's written. We see the recipient of the letter is Timothy. And I've given you a little bit about Timothy. Again, a young man in his 30s. Came to know Jesus through Paul's preaching. We learn in 2 Timothy that he was raised in a godly home. His grandmother, man, was like one of those really good grandmas that like knew Jesus. And so she knew how you needed to live. Um, and uh, helped you follow Jesus. Um, and, uh, and his mother... Uh, was a godly woman and, and, and discipled him and, and taught him godliness. And, and so we're not sure if he came to faith in Christ, maybe under that, that tutelage, or, or was it through the preaching of Paul's ministry? Um, but, but friends, I, I, I challenge you to go through your New Testament and see how the Apostle Paul talks about him. Notice here, he, he says, hey, Timothy, my true child in the faith. The, the word, that phrase, true child, means legitimate. As in, conversely, illegitimate child. It, 
it would have been one, a legitimate child, one who is like a blood child, one who is a legitimately his. And, and again, Paul doesn't mean this physically, that Timothy was his biological father, but that he was his legitimate spiritual son. There was a resemblance in Timothy of Paul. In other words, if you hung out with Timothy, here's what we would have concluded if you knew Paul. You'd have been like, man, you've been hanging around Paul a lot. You talk like Paul. You sound like Paul. Man, you can't. All you do is talk about the gospel. You're like Paul. Right? You've been around people like that, right? Right? We, we, used, to, we used to have a joke in seminary uh, on preaching day when, people would get, when the seminary students would get up and preach. Uh, be like, well, we know who he's been listening to, right? Uh, right? If he's, I can, I'll just say this. I can tell if you've been listening to John MacArthur in the way you pray. I can tell if you've been listening to Alistair Begg. I can tell who you've been listening to. I can tell. If, I just know. Uh, if you know Matt Chandler, uh, he's a preacher in Texas. And, and boy, he like gets his hands going. He does all kinds of crazy stuff and everything. So we used to watch seminary students. They would get up there and they'd do all that stuff. Like, you've been listening to Matt Chandler. Are you, you know, if you cry in your sermons, well, you've been listening to David Platt. Uh, you know, because he cries in every sermon. Um, that was Timothy. Timothy was Paul. Paul was Timothy. It was like they were, he had poured into his life so much that that Timothy just did what Paul did. He acted like Paul. He thought like Paul. Everything about Timothy was, listen to the way Paul talked about Timothy in Philippians chapter 2. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not of Jesus Christ. But, but you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served me with the gospel. Oh, man. I want to say this. I want a Timothy like You know what I mean? Everybody wants a Timothy like I mean, there's no one like him. He's loyal. He's not like John Mark, who's like the first little little thing comes along he abandons me leaves me alone you're not a wuss listen how he genuinely is concerned for your welfare man don't we want preachers who actually care about sheep that ain't just care about how good the sermons they preach and how how great they are oh he like really cared about the sheep He had a proven worth. The church in Philippi knew Timothy's life because he lived among them. He didn't have some like ivory tower he crawled up into every week. I need my time and study 30 hours a week. 30 hours? My good night. It don't take that long to put a sermon together. He lived among the people. He was known in the church as as someone who was proven. They could trust him. Or in 1 Corinthians... And church in Corinth, which is a hot mess. He says, this is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of what? My ways in Christ. Whereas I teach them everywhere in every church. In other words, you want to know how to follow Jesus, Paul says? Just look to my child, Timothy. He'll show you how to follow Jesus. Because I've taught him how to follow Jesus. We get a little glimpse, don't we, of what it means to be a Christian? You know, if you read your New Testament, you read the book of Acts, it was in Antioch where Paul was, where he was discipling people, that they first started calling us Christians. 
You know what Christian means? Little Christ. Little mini-me's running around town. Do you not think the Apostle Paul might have had a little influence on that? Since that seems to be his ministry philosophy. Here's what I'm going to do. I I know I can't be in every church across the Mediterranean world. So what am I going to do? I'm going to disciple men so that they can replicate my ministry model across the known world. Wow, what a philosophy. And and, and, And here's what the church in America does. We put preachers on TV screens and we pipe them in to churches all over North America thinking that's the answer. As if Jesus didn't already, through his, through his word, tell us how to do it. Invest our lives in a people and send them out. Pastor Rod and I were talking before church about how being strategically small in order to disciple men to be sent out. You know what's amazing about this little church is, is that in the last six years, we've been able to send men that we've discipled into churches um, in, in seven different states. You might think, well, wow, that was, that was really unintentional. Yeah, friend, that, that, you understand what we're doing here? People, we, don't, we, don't, we don't understand people are going to stick around here. Right? We're, we're not looking to have a big gathering here. But, but here's the deal. I know because we're intentional in investing in the lives of people when they leave here. Do you not think that they've been equipped to answer, ask some questions about why that church they're going to is doing things the way they're doing it? Do you not understand the emphasis that we put on congregational singing will not be replicated when that, those people go and think about how to do worship in their churches they're going to? You guys all remember Yvonne, right? Even today, we talk week, uh, on a monthly basis. Six months poured into that dude's life, and he's sent out to his church. And he is still, his pastor tells me, bothering the heck out of him over certain things that, that I instilled in him early on in those first six months. I love it. Well, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Right? That's what we're doing. That's the model that Jesus has for his church. To replicate by pouring ourselves into people around you. That's why I read Titus 2 to you this morning. Because that's exactly the vision of the local church. We're pouring ourselves into the next generation. And affecting churches all over the place. That you might never darken the doors of. Through our discipleship. Through our teaching. Through committing ourselves to to doing what Paul did. In the life of young Timothy. Notice here also that Timothy was his true child in the faith. In other words. Paul makes clear that it was the doctrine that they had in common. As well as the living. Paul poured doctrine into Timothy's life. He taught him things. He taught him the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Listen to what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 3. You, however, Timothy, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. In other words, what Timothy modeled was the faith. 
once for all. It wasn't some supernatural, some um, elite group. It was what every Christian is supposed to be like. That's what was modeled. And that's what we're to give ourselves to, brothers and sisters. We ought to listen in on these instructions for how we share the same faith and ministry philosophy. We want to replicate uh, the Bible. All right? We don't want to replicate the, the ministry philosophy of Pastor Chris or Pastor Rod or Pastor Scott or what we think. Um, we want to replicate the vision that Jesus has for his church in this book, brothers and sisters. That's what we want to do. We must order our lives the way Timothy ordered his life after the, 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 the instruction of the Apostle Paul. We want to structure our church after the pattern given here to Timothy in the church of, in Ephesus. And brothers and sisters, may I say this, and, and, and just as a sweet little loving reminder to you, this is a congregational church, which means you... If you are a member of this church, hold in trust the doctrine of this church. The, the elders are responsible to teach sound doctrine at, in so much as in submission to the congregation and the congregation's view. That, in other words, you are the final authority of, of, of doctrine. You are the holder of doctrine as we point to Christ. And so we want to understand corporately we all have a responsibility to know theological truth. That it's not merely for the professionals, the preachers and teachers, but it's for every believer to know God's word and to know how to live in light of that. One final point as we conclude here, we see Paul conclude here with a prayer. Paul does this often in each of his letters. In this one, he says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Customarily, it's just grace and peace. But here he inserts mercy. You see, he wants to remind young Timothy that what he's enduring is by the mercy of God and the mercy of God alone. You see, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is an act of mercy, isn't it not? An act of loving kindness and compassion. He was merciful towards us. He didn't have to save us. He didn't have to redeem us. He didn't have to do any of this. And, and Timothy was to not only know this, but tell this. That, that this is a matter of position, is it not, brothers and sisters? That we are those whom have received mercy. We are those who have received the grace of God and that we have been saved. Not only have we been saved from the wrath of God, but we've been saved unto a relationship with God. We, you can know the one true and living God and live with him forever through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can be at peace with God. And there's nothing greater in this world to know that the eternal, sovereign God, creator of this cosmos, who can in an instant condemn us eternally, that we are at peace with him? Friend, if you are in Christ this morning, God is not angry with you any longer. Hear the word, peace. 
peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. You're at peace with God. You're no longer at war, no longer at rebellion. You are his child and he loves you. Friend, what is your view of doctrine? What what is your view of how to live? What, What is your view of the local church? Do you see it as a pillar and buttress of truth? One that should be lifted high? Or merely relegated in your schedule to whenever you have time? Well, may we all live in submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ by submitting to His Word for His glory. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning that we might know You better. That You might be glorified through Christ in lives lived in holiness. Renew our minds that we might know You better through Your Word. Let us give ourselves to it to study You and to encounter You to love you more, to have a deeper appreciation for these words of grace, mercy, and peace. Lord, let us have consciences that are convicted where we are outside of your word, whether it be in our lives personally, in lives of holiness, or whether it be corporately where we are living in opposition or opposition to your word. Let us submit ourselves and obey you. And let us do this all for your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.